Okay, so today's share is um, is being sponsored by Mrs. Panina Levine, and it's in honor of a zchus of a refuah shalema for her son-in-law Daniel Yosef Ben Leah. She have a refuah shalema, Emir Hashem. Um, before we begin with the Navi, I just want to mention tonight is the tenth Asara B'Tevis, the tenth of Tevis. Tomorrow is a fast day. Um, Asara B'Tevis is uh, not seen as the most uh, severe of the fast days. It's not like uh, Tisha B'Av. And yet, in a certain way, it carries a certain severity because it's the first fast day in the events that led to the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. Um, on the 10th of Tevis is when the siege on Yerushalayim began. The Melech Babel, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, um, laid siege to Yerushalayim. So it was the beginning of the uh, negative events that led to the Churban Beis HaMikdash. And interestingly, halachically, if the 10th of Tevis were to fall out on the Shabbos, we would fast even on Shabbos. There's a certain severity to this date. That can't happen. Um, based on the way the calendar works, it can't fall out on Shabbos. But there is that severity that is the beginning of the events leading to the Churban Beis HaMikdash. Uh, the Rebbe always would point out the positive side to things, and that is that we know the Rambam tells us that when Mashiach will come, will be speedily in Hashem, so the fast days will actually turn out to be, to, will be transformed to be days of Simcha, days of Yom Tev, days of rejoicing. And therefore, because the severity turns around to something positive. And therefore, the Rebbe said that in the Asar B'Tevis, which is the first of the fast days, the beginning of the destruction is actually the seeds of redemption. And therefore, it's a day that's very connected to Geula. And in, in a talk that the Rebbe gave tonight on the 10th of Tevis 30 years ago, Tafshin Nun Beis, in, uh, in, what was it, 91? Um, or 92, if it was January 1st already. So the Rebbe said that tonight is already the beginning of Asar B'Tevis, but the fast didn't yet begin. We don't, we don't begin fasting until the morning, and that's where the real seeds of Geula lie. The day of Asar B'Tevis, we're not even fasting yet, and the Rebbe said it's a time for introspection and shuva, especially um, increased uh, action in what we can do to bring the Geula and transform these fast days the days of Simcha, again, may it be this year that from Asar Batevah should already be a day of Simcha and a day of the beginning of Geula instead of the beginning of the fast day. Bezra Sashem. Okay, um, we are holding in, in Navi and Shmuel Bez by Perek Chof, chapter 20. Um, and we're really uh, finishing up. I don't think we'll finish Shmuel Bez tonight, probably next week, Amir Hashem. But we're finishing up the story of Shmuel Bez, and really it's the story of David HaMelech. Um, last week, or the last two weeks, we dealt with uh, one of the perhaps the most difficult saga of David Melech's lifetime, and that was the rebellion um, led by his son Avshalom. Avshalom, who was the son of David Melech, uh, beloved to David Melech, and yet totally rebelled in a very terrible way against his father, and led a large portion of Klal Yisrael against David Melech. And there was this. Um, I'm not going to review, but there was, uh, you know, the different uh, people who were initially um, followers of David who went with Avshalom and became his advisors and became his, his lo- the ones who were loyal to him. Ultimately, there was a, a terrible battle, and Avshalom and his men fell before David's men, before David's soldiers. And um, as we learned, that although David had given very strict orders, that no matter what, his son was to be spared, Yoav, who's David's ge- primary general, doesn't listen. And ultimately, he's the one who kills Avshalom. Um, we'll read again about Yoav tonight. Yoav has this uh, history with David. Yoav is, 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 a, is an avid Neman on the one hand. He's totally devoted to David, but he's a zealot. And he, um, 
he uh, avenges anyone who goes against David. And that happened a number of times. And again, tonight we're going to learn about that in another, uh, again. But, um, so in this story, David, uh, Yoav, I'm sorry, had killed Avshalom, and that brought about the end of the, uh, that quashed the rebellion. And David um, now really returns to Yerushalayim, because David had escaped Yerushalayim. Um, and he returns now as, again, sort of the undisputed Melech, because, you know, the, the Shaul saga is behind us, and now the Avshalom saga is behind us, and now David is Melech. But in the end of Perak Yutes, in the end of chapter 19 last week, we talked, there was uh, some type of um, arguments going on amongst the Shvatim, and that is the Shevet Yehuda, they always felt that David was theirs. After all, David comes from Shevet Yehuda. And the Shevet Yehuda was always with David, no matter what. They never rebelled against David, uh, typically speaking. The Shevet Yehuda always stuck by David. Uh, the other Shvatim, they were sort of in and out. So in the end of last chapter, there was some sort of uh, level of argument where the, the ten Shvatim said, why, why, are you, why do you Yehuda, why do you Shevet Yehuda feel that, that he's your Melech, he's really all of our Melech? And Yehuda says, nobody's ours. That's where really where, where last parak ended, ended up. Um, in this parak, we have yet another rebellion against David, which really comes on the heels of the previous one. Um, a much lesser known, and it's not a rebellion that ever really took off. But nevertheless, that's how this parak parakhaf begins. It says, V'sham Nikra Ish Bilyal, there was a, a negative person, and his name was Sheva ben Bichri. Sheva, son of Bichri, and he also comes from Shevet bin Yamin, just like Shaul did. And he blows a Shefer and he says, he says, why should we go with David? In other words, this is on the heels of that argument between the ten tribes versus Shevet Yehuda, where everyone's arguing, saying he's our Melech, he's our Melech. This uh, Sheva ben Bichri, he blows the Shofar, that was the way of uh, uh, calling, uh, calling to arms, or any type of uh, rebellion or any type of announcement was usually preceded by a shofar blowing. So he blows the shofar and he says, lanu bidavid, lanu yishai. He says, we don't need David. We, we don't have a portion with David and not the son of Yishai. Yisrael. All Jewish people, go back to your tents. We don't need David Amalek. We don't need David Amalek's kingdom. And here the Pasuk says it again. You had many, many, the, the wording of the Pasuk is, Vayal kol ish Yisrael me'achari David. All of the Jewish people leave David. I mean, according to Mepharshim, it doesn't mean all, but it means, again, big groups of, of the Jewish people who um, their allegiance to David was weak. And, you know, there is a lot of back and forth here. So when, now you have a new contester, contester, so to speak, to the king, and the kingship of David HaMelech. So many people leave David's side. So um, David now is again, his kingship is somewhat is challenged. The passage goes on to say David returns to Yerushalayim. You'll recall that uh, one, of the, uh, uh, one of the tragedies, one of the terrible things that happened during the rebellion of Avshalom is that Avshalom had marital relations with the wives of David HaMelech, or not the concubines of David HaMelech. So the passage here in Pasuk Gimel says that David um, finds those women and he, he takes care of them for the rest of their life. He doesn't, again... Um, assume he doesn't continue relationships with them, but nevertheless he takes care of them, gives them homes, and takes care of them. And that's in Pasuk Gimel. But in Dalit, we get back to this, this rebellion. So David calls on Amasa. Who's Amasa? And again, this is a pivotal person. Um, Amasa was the one who, had, who was the general of Avshalom in the rebellion against David. So Amasa is this person who's... Uh, 
well, it's not clear if he's a friend or not a friend, because he's the one who went with Avshalom against David. He was um, Avshalom's general. But once Avshalom um, was killed, David invites Amasa to come and be one of his generals. Uh, throughout the Tanakh, David is very quick to forgive. And as we'll see, that's the difference really between David and Yoav. David is very quick, perhaps too quick sometimes, to forgive those who rebel against him. And Yoav is the zealot. So here we have, David turns now to Amasa, and he says, I need you to help me to quash this new rebellion with Sheva ben Bichri. So he tells him, he says, go quickly, go throughout the tribe of Yehuda, those people are always loyal to me. In three days I want you back here with, uh, with an army of people so we can go and quash this new rebellion of this Sheva ben Bichri. Um, by the way, I forgot to say something interesting. The uh, Gemara tells us that um, much later in history, we're going to have, you know, David HaMelech is uh, going to pass away, and his son Shlomo HaMelech is going to become the king after him. Shlomo HaMelech is going to build the base of Mikdash. And later, Shlomo HaMelech is going to pass away. Uh, I hope to get to this together, Bezra Hashem. But Shlomo HaMelech is going to pass away, and that's when Kalal Yisrael is going to split up into really two kingdoms. And that's going to last for hundreds of years. Um, Shlomo's son is going to be Rechavam, um, but the uh, the uh, one who's going to take over, who's going to who's going to divide and go away from the kingdom of David and Shlomo is going to be a person named Yeravam, Yeravam ben Nevat, who's going to turn out to be a very evil person. Um, okay, all that we're going to learn later. The interesting point here to know is that this person leading the rebellion presently, Sheva ben Bichri, is the father of Yeravam ben Nevat. As Yeravam, who's later going to rebel against the kingdom of David and Shlema, his father is Sheva ben Bichri, who's now rebelling against David HaMelech. I hope I'm being clear with all the names. But we have a, a rebellion going on now, and this is the father of the one who's going to be the great rebellion of the ten tribes against the two tribes later in Tanakh. Okay, but back to our story. So David HaMelech um, calls for Amasa. And again, Amasa was this detractor general. Um, who had been the general of Avshalom. And he says, I want you to gather an army. I give you three days to come back and we will go out and we are going to quash the rebellion against, the new rebellion against Malchus David. <sighs> the end of three days, Amasa did not return yet. And Amasa is severely criticized for this, that he was given a mission by the king. And again, this is a, uh, Amasa is a, it's a new Balchuva, if you will, right? He was, uh, he led the rebellion against David. And now David gives him uh, his first mission, and it's three days later, and Amasa somehow uh, got lost on the way. It's different to Mepharshim, talk about what happened, why he didn't come back on time. Fact is, he didn't come back on time. And David recognizes that uh, things are in danger now with this new rebellion, and um, action must be taken. So he turns to Avishai. Avishai is Yoav's brother. Uh, we, we, know, we talked about them before. There's three brothers, Yoav. The general, Avishai, another general. There was Asoel, the third, who was killed in one of the stories way back. So David turns to Avishai and he says, I need you, I need you now. He says, uh, you know, forget about Amasa, he didn't come back in time. We have to take, uh, we have to take an army, take people, take whoever's here, and uh, make chase after this Sheva ben Bichri, who's challenging the Malchus of David. And that's what happens. So Amasa leads, uh, leads the battle. Yoav... Um, uh, also joins, even though David didn't call on Yoav, because David is upset with Yoav. David is still upset with Yoav for the fact that Yoav killed his son Avshalom. Um, but Yoav joins the chase together with Hamasa, and who do they meet coming back? I I'm sorry, Yoav joins the chase together with his brother Avishai, the, who are both generals of, of David, and who do they meet? Hamasa. 
Now Amasa is showing up, and Amasa is coming to help David, but he came, he came late. And therefore, really, um, as far as Yoav was concerned, this Amasa was, uh, has a married b'malchus, the time t- times two, before he rebelled against David by being um, Avshalom's general, and now he rebelled by not following orders. And as the Pasuk says, and I don't think we'll go into detail, but Yoav, um, Yoav kills Amasa. And this is already the third time that Yoav, in his uh, zealotry, is going to kill someone um, because that person is, uh, in some form, rebelling against David. Um, way back, Yoav killed Avner Benair, who was Shoal's general. Um, late, recently, Yoav killed Avshalom, who's David's son, who rebelled against David. And now, Yoav kills Amasa, who was the general of Avshalom, and now didn't follow David's commands. And, so, and Yoyev is, again, this is, this is, there's different uh, ways of looking at Yoyev. He's definitely criticized for being the ultimate zealot. On the other hand, it's, it's understood that it's always out of the uh, zealotry for the covet of Beis David, of Malchus Beis David. So Yoyev historically is looked at as a great man, but someone who was a big kanoi, a great zealot, and therefore he's the, uh, he's the one who's always doing these acts, even though David Amalek is typically unhappy with them. But that's the story. So, so on, on the way, uh, Amasas is killed by Yoyov, and the the battle ensues. Now they're 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 making chase. They're chasing after this Sheva ben Bichri, and the psukim go on. The Sheva went to different uh, cities and he tried to get people to join him, and ultimately he ends up in a city called Avela. And and um, Avishai and Yoav all approach the city of Avela. And they surround it. They lay siege to the town. And they're really going to take down the town. Because this town right now is, um, is, uh, is protecting Sheva ben Bichri. Sheva ben Bichri is a, an official rebellion against David HaMelech. So the two um, Tzava, the two generals of the army, Avishai and Yoyav, are now surrounding the city of Avela. And as it says in, in the olden days especially, even today probably in some places, the walled cities was all about fortifying the walls of the city. So this city of Avela, of Avela was a walled city. And one of the ways of, over, um, of uh, coming into a walled city was they would build like a, um, a stone uh, path, passageway like a bridge almost, to go up the wall and go into the city. So Yoyov and Avishai gave orders to the men that we're going to take this city and to start building this, uh, this uh, approach, which will bring them over the walls of the city. And the Pasuk says something very interesting. It says that there was a wise woman in the city. Interestingly, recently we also talked about a wise woman, the Isha Tekoes. Now it was the second time that the Navi talks about a wise woman who she recognizes that this city is about to be destroyed. And she understood that Yoav and uh, Avishai were going to be victorious and that the, the whole city would be destroyed. And the Pasuk says, the Pasuk Tezayin, Vatikra isha chachama min ha'ir. A wise woman calls forth from the city, Shimu, Shimu. Listen, listen. Imru no'el Yoav, call Yoav. Krav adheina vadabira ilecha. Let Yoav come here. I want to talk to Yoav. Who was this woman? So in the, uh, the Psukim, it doesn't say. It doesn't say a name. The Medrashim and the Chazal see something very fascinating, and that is one of the famous women of Tanakh who had a supernatural longevity. Who am I talking about? Again, everyone's mute, so I don't hear the answers. But the answer is Serach Bas Osher. Serach Bas Osher, Serach, the daughter of Osher, who was the one who played some very pivotal roles in the stories of Klal Yisrael. She's the one, of course, who told Yaakov in last week's Pasha that Yosef HaSadik was still alive. 
that was Sarah, the daughter of Asher. Because of that, she was granted the supernatural longevity. According to some Midrashim, she's one of the people who ascended to heaven into Ganadin alive, never really died. Was taken from this world. The Midrash talks about a few people, of course, Eliyahu and Avi most famously, but a few tzaddikim that were on that level that they just entered into Ganadin. So according to Midrashim, Sarah was one of them. Um, Sarah is the one when the Jewish, when Klal Yisrael is leaving Mitzrayim, she's the one who tells Moshe Rabbeinu where Yosef HaSadik is buried. She's always there at very pivotal times. So according to Chazal and Midrashim, this is the final time when Sarah is, um, is mentioned in the Torah, in Tanakh. Again, she's not mentioned by name, and it doesn't say, it just says Isha Chachama without telling who it is, but according to Chazal, it's Sarah. So Sarah Basosher um, asks for an audience with Yoyov. And I guess Yoyev is not afraid of her, especially since she's probably a couple hundred years old, according to this story. So she probably wasn't that scary to the general of the army. But be that as it may, Yoyev comes closer. And Sarah says, he says, what, what are you doing? You're destroying an entire city of Jewish people. Why are you destroying the entire city of people? Why do you want to... Uh... So he says, I'm, I'm faithful to the king. She says in Pasuk Yitas, Anoichi Shlumei Emunei Yisrael, we're faithful, we're faithful to the king, we're faithful to the Torah. Why would you come here to destroy an entire city of people? And Yoyev answers, he says, no, chas v'shalom, chalila. Chalila is like saying, heaven forbid. He says, of course, I'm not looking to destroy a city. In this city, there's one person. And that person is leading a rebellion against the king David and Melech. And being that he's leading a rebellion, he has a din, a halacha, a merit, the malchus, one who rebels in the king. And I'm here to put him to death. And if the city is going to cover for him, if the city is going to protect him, then whoever's in the way is going to be destroyed. But I don't want to destroy the city. So the woman says, okay, if that's the case, leave it to me. I'll take care of it. Um, we, we will take care of it. You'll, you'll, you'll have Sheva ben Bichri. In fact, she says, Sheva ben Bichri's head will come over the wall to you. But don't destroy the city. And that's exactly what happens. The Yav says that's perfectly fine. In Pasir Chavbez, the Pasuk says, The woman came to the nation, the people of the city, with her wisdom, and she was able to have the people of the city put the Shavah ben Bichri to death, and therefore Yoyav was appeased. And again, Yoyav blows the Shafer, and he, um, and the, and he, and he, and the, the crowd, the, the, uh, the people that had come along with Yoyav, the, the, the soldiers, all dispersed, and Yoyav goes back to Yerushalayim. That's the end of the story of the, this uh, short-lived rebellion of Sheva ben Bichri against David HaMelech. It's interesting to note that this story of, the, of Yoav and Sheva ben Bichri and this Isha Chachama, this wise woman, um, is really a, a, a halachic discussion, which, I don't, which I'm not going to get into at length now at all. But just very, very in short, there is a halachic discussion, which is if you have um, murderers, and the murderers approach a group of people and they say, give us one of you. Give us one of the people because we, we want to kill him. Otherwise, we'll kill everyone. So are you allowed to, you have a group of 10 people, 20 people, 100 people. Are you allowed to give up one person to be killed in order to save the entire group? Because that's what seems like what happened over here. That this Isha Chachama Serach had one person be killed in order to save the entire city. So is that, what's the halacha? So again, to make a long discussion short, the halacha is that that is only permissible because she knew that this Sheva ben Bichri was really of Misa. He was really someone who was meant to be put to death because he was a married Malchus, because he was, um, he was rebelling against David Amalek. 
So therefore, he was really high of Misa, and that's why she reasoned with the people and said, listen, this person really is worthy of the death penalty. And if we don't give him up, we're all going to be killed. That's why it was permissible and the right thing for them to give up the Sheva, Ben Bichri. However, in a situation where, again, murderers, and this happened historically, this definitely happened historically when, when you had anti-Semites and murderers who came and threatened the community and said, give us one person, otherwise we kill everyone. So the Allah is very clear, we do not give up one person. Um, one uh, in, in, in Rambam and Shulchan Aruch that we never we don't play um, we don't play God we, we don't decide who's more valuable one person more than one person and therefore luckily we would not be allowed to give one person to save many um, unless the person does it on their own but we can't give one person to be killed to save many the exception is this um, uh, story in Navi because here this Shev Ben Bichri really was culpable of the death penalty because he was a married Ben Malchus so that's a, it's an interesting discussion in the uh, commentaries um, in halacha, based on this a story in Navi. Okay, that brings us to Pasuk Chaf Gimel. Um, at this point, uh, for really from here until the end of the parak, the Pasuk just goes through who were the, now the leaders in David HaMelech's army, who were the leaders of, the Jew, of, of David HaMelech's kingdom at the time, because really at this point, David HaMelech's kingdom, it's really close to the end of David HaMelech's life already, but is really reinstated. Because you had the great rebellion of Avshalom and now Sheva ben Bichri. David was out of Yerushalayim. So now quickly the Pasuk runs through, um, you know, the generals of Yoyav and Biniyo ben Yehoyada and others, some that we've mentioned before, some that not. The Pasuk goes through a couple of names and um, that takes us to the end of Perik Chof. Okay. Perik Chof Aleph, chapter 21. Um, another, what should I say, like so many Navi stories, uh, a story that has a lot of sadness to it. But nevertheless, one of one of the Prakim and Navi here. So, Perichafalaf. Vahi Rav bimei David Shalishanim. Again, this is this is close, this is close to the end of David's lifetime. And a mysterious famine hits Eretz Yisrael for three consecutive years. Shana Achari Shana, year after year. A three-year famine and people are dying um, in Eretz Yisrael. And the Farshim say, the Gemara says that. David tried to figure out all types of things. He says maybe people are doing Avedizara, idolatry, maybe other sins. And David, who's David Lee, is the head of the Bezdin also, and, and he's, looks, he's looking into people, are, and he, does, he doesn't seem, he doesn't find that there's any terrible behaviors going on that would justify in any way some type of the wrath of Hashem, this punishment. So the Pasuk says, Vaivakish David is Pnei Hashem. David turns to Hashem, and David asks Hashem, what, what's going on? What, why, why do we have this rov? Why is there this famine? Why is there this hunger? Hashem. And Hashem told David a very um, powerful, famous pasuk. He says, El Shaul ve'el beis hadomim. This famine is a punishment that's connected to Shaul, the King Shaul, who's already gone for many years, and the house of blood, al asher es and because David had put to death the Givinim. What does this mean? Again, it's a, it's a cryptic pasuk, a, crypt, a cryptic statement of Hashem to David HaMelech. The, the, the reason that there's this famine is because of Shaul and the house of blood and the, and the fact that the Givinim were put to death. So what does that mean? So the Mepharshim explained that there was a few critiques here. One critique was that Shaul was not mourned properly by the Jewish people. Uh, Shaul, we'll remember, you know, is, a, is an enigmatic king, a lot of ups and downs. But Shaul was Melech Israel; he was the first king of the Jewish people. Um, Shaul was killed in a war, 
and that war right away led into David Melech becoming king, and, and there was furious things one after the other. And Shaul was never properly mourned by the nation, by the Jewish people. And here the Gemara says, from here we learn the tremendous importance um, that when someone passes away, that they be mourned properly. And especially the greater the person is, and the more central the person is, the more there is this chiv, this obligation, to show them the cover, the respect, and to mourn them properly. And so much so that this is already a number of years after Shaul's death, and the Jewish people are being punished because Shaul never received his proper kavod of being mourned properly. So that was the first thing. Now, while Hashem is saying this, so which means so Shaul is great, th- then the other reason is because of all the blood that was spilled through Shaul. It's like two, like two opposites. The same punishment that's being visited upon the Jewish people is both because Shaul wasn't mourned correctly because he was a great man, but also because a lot of people were killed on account of Shaul. And that's the base Hadomim, the, the blood that was spilled. We, if you will recall, the know of the city of Kohanim that was killed by Shaul. And the Givonim. Who are the Givonim? And who are the Givonim that they're a reason now for the wrath of the Jewish people? And this is a very... Um, interesting and very, really, very fascinating concept. The Givonim we learned about a long time ago in our last year Navi classes, in the beginning of Yehoshua. Right? Um, we had a nation of, of Goyim, of non Jews, who lived in Canaan, who came and got a peace treaty with Yeshua through trickery. Right? They were the ones who came and they made as if they were coming from a distant land and so on and so forth, and they're coming to make a peace treaty with the Jewish people. But ultimately, they lived right there. And they tricked the Jewish people into a peace treaty. And at that time, there was a question what to do with them. And ultimately, they were made, um, they were, the peace treaty was honored, but ultimately, they were servants. That's what they did. They, were, they brought the water, they brought wood, they were serving the Besamekdash. They were servants. It seems that many of these Givonim were put to death by, by Shaul. When, Shaul. when Shaul had his battles against David, and when Shaul was, especially when he was um, very, very... Um, depressed and very um, suspicious of all types of people who he thought were plotting against him, many of the Givainim were put to death as well. And nobody stood up for them. Again, these, this was a, almost like a, they were a servant nation. They weren't prominent Jewish people. They were people that everyone understood. They weren't really Jewish, the Givainim. They were just, you know, they, were, they, they, got, they tricked us into a peace treaty. And nevertheless... Hashem here says that this punishment, that there's a famine going on in the Jewish people, is because many of the Givainim were put to death. And the Givainim are harboring an anger. And they're harboring, you know, bad feeling that they were put to death. And no one ever avenged them. No one ever in any way pacified them. Because again, they were so not significant in the, in the bigger picture of the Jewish people that nobody paid a tremendous amount of attention to them. And this is what the Shekhinah, this is the, the divine response that David HaMelech gets to his question. Why, why is there a famine going on? Why is there a rov for three consecutive years already? A, because Shaul wasn't mourned properly, and B, because people were put to death, and specifically the Givonim were put to death by Shaul HaMelech. So David hears this, and he understands that something has to be done, um, because there's a famine. The famine is not going to let up. People are dying. And it seems that there is a there is a xera, there's a decree against the Jewish people, and these things have to be pacified. So the first ones he went to was the Givonim. How can we pacify the Givonim? And it says David called them in, and he says they weren't even really Jewish people. They really come from the Amuri, from the nations that were in, in Canaan at the time. And David says, What can I do for you? 
I'll give you money, I'll give you honor, I'll give you wealth, whatever you need. David offers the Givanim anything, he just wants mechila from the Givanim. And here Chazal say the Givanim did something terrible. And that came from the Achzorius, the cruelty that they had in their souls. And they said, we will not be pacified with anything, rather people of us were killed, we want blood. And we want children of Shaul HaMelech that they should be killed to avenge the blood of those who were killed from our nation. And obviously David was devastated to hear that. And David again offered them all types of compensation. They wanted blood. And here the Gemara says something that became a very famous statement. And says that it was at that point that David said that there is three signs that are within the DNA, if you will, of Klal Yisro. And Dr. Rebbe brings that right in the beginning of Tanya. The three are Rachmanim, that there is mercy, and there is Baishanim, which is uh, humility or modesty, um, bashfulness, and Gmilas Chasodim. But these Givainim did not show any mercy whatsoever. Because they were not willing to retake anything aside from seeing blood, that, that people should be killed. And therefore David decreed that they should never be allowed amongst the Jewish people. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, David Amalek said that being that they have the Midah of Achzarius, that Midah of cruelty, and the lack of, of mercy, of compassion. So therefore, David uh, decreed that they would never be accepted amongst Chal Yisrael, these Givanim. Um, but being that this was their demand, and Hashem had told David that this was the decree, um, that they have to be pacified. So David took the various children, Shalom Alech had many different children from different wives, and he took them in front of the Aaron, and he asked Aaron, which are the ones that have to be put to death to avenge the killing of Givanim? But before he did that, David had one tefillah of Hashem. Um, he, David asked, there's one child of Saul that I'm davening, that there shouldn't be any, no, no, um, that, that uh, there shouldn't be any gzera on him. Who are we talking about? So the Pasuk is, um, we're talking about Mipibayshes, the son of Yonasan. Right? Well, we talked about him a, a few times. There was uh, one son left of Yonasan, David's, uh, you know, uh, friend, more than friend, much more than friend, ultimate friend. He had a son, Mipibayshes, David Davin, that that one son shouldn't be touched. And Hashem listened to that tefillah. But instead, it was decreed upon seven of the descendants of Shaul, or children of Shaul, that would be killed um, to pacify the Givanim. As the Pasuk says in Pasuk Ches, there was two uh, sons of a woman, her name was Ritzpah Basaya. She was a wife of Shaul HaMelech, and she had two sons. Those two sons were taken. And five sons, the Pasuk says, of Michal, daughter of Shaul. Um, and she gave these sons, uh, she gave birth to these sons to Adriel, Ben Barzillai. Now this is a problem, this doesn't really make any sense, because Michal was David's wife. Michal had an older sister, Meirav. Meirav was Adriel's wife. So here, again, the commentators, why do we say that there's an issue here? The Psukim say something that doesn't fit with the Psukim earlier, and they explain that these five sons were really children of Meirav, but Meirav had died young and Michal had brought them up. And it says when you bring up another person's child, in a way that's as if it's your own child. So these are five children brought up by Michal, who's David's own wife. And they were taken together with the two sons of this, um, of, um, who do you say, Ritzpah Basaya, and they were given over to the hands of the Givonim, who killed them. They killed them, um, and they hung them. And this was the Givonim's revenge that they exacted, and that had to be given to them, it seems, because this decree would not leave Klal Yisrael 
where again we have this famine going on as long as they were not pacified and therefore this was obviously a terrible day for the Jewish people these seven children of Shaul were put to death by the Givonim to avenge the blood of the Givonim that was killed and it's interesting the Gemara says that although this was terribly sad for the Jewish people this was a tremendous Kiddush Hashem for all the other nations that saw how Hashem treats even people who are not Choshev people at all or are just Geirim and not even Geirim really they were Goyim who tricked a peace treaty out of us but Hashem is just and therefore being that they were um, unjustly persecuted so they had the right to exact their, or, or to extract their revenge for the persecution that they went through um, Rabbi, Rabbi Silverberg yes. it's interesting because we just said with the other story that we can't pick a person to be killed you know from a group of people and then here the next story is, Hap- that's what happens right that's an excellent question and that's why it's important to, n- to note what I said earlier that David didn't pick them they were br- all the children of Shaul were brought in front of the Oren, and the Oren, there was a divine sign that this is the person that was Chayiv Misa. So, yeah, David would not make that distinction on his own. The only thing he did was he davened for one that the Xera shouldn't be on him, but ultimately it was the Oren, it was the word of Hashem that said that those are the people that had to be given up. But that's a very important point that you're making, of course. Okay, um, then there's, but then there's another thing that David Amalek does, because re- you'll recall, Hashem said there was two reasons for the famine. There was, um, there was this, uh, you know, the, the killing of the Givonim, but there was also that Shaul wasn't honored in his death. And therefore the Pasuk says in Pasuk Yibbez that David went and he takes now the bones of Shaul and of Yonason, who were, they, they were killed during a war and they were hastily buried somewhere. Now David takes all of them and he makes over a proper Leviah and he, he buries them together with these new seven sons that were killed now. And he makes a huge um, a procession and a funeral and Claudius Israel mourns properly for Shaul and for his sons who were all killed. And through all this, that decree that Xerah was averted from Claudius Israel and the, um, and the famine, the, the famine, the famine stopped. And that's in Pasi Gedalad. We learned that they were all, again, Shaul's, uh, Shaul's remains and Yonason's remains. Again, and these, these children, these uh, five, seven uh, sons, were all uh, buried in the kever of Kish Aviv, the father of Shaul. And Klai Yisrael did whatever the king said, said and Hashem forgave, and the uh, decree against Klai Yisrael at that time um, was annulled. And that brings us to Pasuk Tesvav, over here in Perik Chof. Uh, I'm sorry, Perik Chof Aleph. Okay. Um, from here until the end of the parak, the, the, the parak tells us about a few uh, small battles that happened. Uh, and all of them, um, the Jewish people were in danger, but Hashem saved them. Um, the most interesting one is the first one. Uh, it says that there was another Milchama with the Plishtim. And David went um, to wage battle because David would always lead his people into battle. And there it says that David was a, um, how do you say, attacked by a, a giant in the city of Nov. Um, it's, it describes he was a huge person and wearing uh, armor and so on and so forth. And David was in grave danger. It seems that at this point David was in grave danger. And it was Avishai, that general, the brother of Yoav, who was able to help and save David and ultimately kill this Plishti giant. Um, in Chazal, there's, there's really wild stories about this battle and 
that this giant was able to throw David into the ear, and he threw David in the ear, and he put down a sword, and David was going to fall, and he was going to be killed, and Avishai came, and he said a name of Hashem, and through that, David remained in mid-ear. It's a very fascinating story in the Gemara, which I'm not going to go into details. Um, it's, an, it's really from Midrashim. But the Apostle doesn't say any of that, it just says that David was in mortal danger, and he was helped and saved by his general Avishai. And what's interesting is that the Apostle says that it was at that point that the Jewish people made a shvua that David can never go back into battle again. In other words, being that David already is quite old, and they saw that he was in mortal danger, and he's the king, and they said, although that David wants to you know, lead the Jewish people into battle, from now on he's not going to go into battle, he stays in the palace, or wherever he is, and the, uh, the generals and whatever would lead the battles without David. And that was from that, after that story. Um, the Gemara goes on and says another story like that, and there's another battle, and again there was this uh, powerful um, plishti warrior that threatened them, and again they were saved from him, and then a third such battle, and then a fourth such battle. There's four consecutive battles. In all of these bar- battles, they were they were um, endangered by a plishti great warrior. It's interesting, all of these four warriors are brothers, and they are grandchildren of Arpa. Arpa, who of course is the, um, we know in the story of Rus, right? Rus had, the, there was the two daughters-in-law, there was Arpa, uh, I'm sorry, there was Nami was the mother-in-law, and then there's the two daughters-in-law, Arpa and Rus, and Rus uh, came, of course, came with uh, Nami back to Eretz Yisrael, and becomes the grandmother of David Amalek. Arpa goes back to Moab, and Arpa's children are enemies of the Jewish people. Most famously was Goliath. Goliath, uh, way back in the beginning of David's career, is when David fights Goliath. And uh, now it's, it's, it's nephews or grandchildren. And these are all the various warriors that are now um, endangering the Jewish people. But one by one, these battles are all won over. Again, the four battles that are described here at the end of the Perik. And that finishes Perik Chaf Aleph. And brings us to Perik Chaf Beis. Okay, um, we're not going to learn Perik Chav Beis in detail, because really to learn Perik Chav Beis in detail will take probably a few classes just on Perik Chav Beis. Perik Chav Beis is the Shira of David, right? We mentioned way back that there are a number of Shiras in Tanakh, a number of great songs in Tanakh. Uh, probably the most famous Shira in Tanakh is the uh, Az Yashir, the Chumash. But altogether, going through the entire Tanakh, we have nine shiras, nine great songs in Tanakh. Some of them we've covered together in our learning of Navi, like the shira, for example, of Chana, or the shira of Devera. These are shiras that we learn together. One of the great shiras is this shira of David, and it's really where David is singing his thanks and praise to Hashem for what Hashem did to him throughout his lifetime, and all the times Hashem saved him, and all the different sorrows that he went through. And all these are mentioned in beautiful poetry in this shira. Again, Perik, Chaf, Beis of Shmuel Beis. We're nearing the end of David's life, and here we have this, what's known famously as the shira of David. Most interestingly, this shira is also in Tehillim. We know that Tehillim is, of course, David Amalek's book. Um, that's not to say that David composed the entire Tehillim. Um, Tehillim was composed by different people, but David put it all together, and David wrote it all together. But there's one specific chapter in Tehillim, which is the shira of David, and that is chapter Yud Ches, 18. Um, those who, uh, who are frequent in saying Tehillim know that until you get to Yud Ches, the chapters are, you know, pretty decently short as far as, once you get to Yudches, that's when, uh, you know, you're in, the, you're in the major leagues. That's when you start, they start getting a little longer. Yudches is the first long chapter of Tehillim. Um, and that is the Shira of David. 
Perik Yud Ches in Tehillim is almost exactly the same as Perik Chav Beis in Shmuel Beis, with a number of differences, nuances. Different words, changes of words. It's the same general poetry, it's the same general ideas, praises to Hashem, yet there are differences. And of course, that begs the question. It's the same person, it's the same writer, it's the same general Shira. Why is it different in Tehillim uh, versus in uh, Shmuel, in Shmuel Beis? And um, for, there's a different Farsham on that. I'll say something very beautiful that I saw in the name of Rabbi Yonason Eibschitz. Rabbi Yonason Eibschitz was the great Rav of Prague, some uh, a little uh, 300 years ago, 350 years ago, um, and he wrote he wrote a tremendous amount of svarim, and is quoted in many svarim also. And he writes that David would speak. This was there's words of nevuah, there were words of ruach hakodesh, but there's many levels of nevuah, and there's levels of nevuah and levels of ruach hakodesh. In fact, the word Ruach HaKodesh, divine inspiration, typically connotes a lesser level than Nevuah. So therefore he says that the level of Nevuah that David was speaking when Tanakh, when he's writing Shmuel, or when Shmuel is being written, is a higher level than the level when he's speaking, when he's writing Tehillim. Um, this is Nevi'im, Tehillim is Ksuvim, Nevi'im is a higher level than Ksuvim, and therefore, being that the level of Ruach HaKodesh, of divine inspiration, is different, so therefore, therefore it, ha- it comes out with different words, and there's going to be different nuances because of that. So though they're both called Shiraz David, and they're both, um, of course, divinely inspired, and they're both part of Tanakh, yet there's, there's, there are minor differences. And again, it's an interesting study to take the two together. You take a Tehillim in one hand, and you take the Shmuel on the other, and you look through, you'll see it's the same Sukim, but wording differences or even, even um, vowel differences between them, the way it is written in the Navi, the way it is written in Tehillim. And I'll just mention one. One interesting difference that's fascinating because we actually very much um, actually relate to this difference. And that is the last words of the Shira, which is, again, the end of Perik Chaf Beis. Where am I? Yeah, the very last Pasuk. The very last pasuk of Perech of Beis is Migdol Yeshua Smalko Vose Chesed Lemshicho LeDavid Olazaro Ad Olam. Right now we know this because it's in Benching, but I'm sure um, we may have noticed that in Benching there's a difference in this pasuk when we say it during the weekdays versus when we say it during Shabbos, right? And that is during the weekdays we read it Magdil Yeshua Smalko. On Shabbos we read Migdol Yeshua Smalko. Small difference. I'll explain the difference in a moment. But just in the in the vowels and the way we read it, uh, during the weekday we finish the benching Magdil Yeshua Smalko Vaisa And on Shabbos we say Migdol Yeshua Smalko. What's the reason for that difference? So the first thing we have to know is that one is the way it's written in Tehillim, and one is the way it's written in Shmuel. In Shmuel, it's written Migdol Yeshua Smalko. The way it's written in the Navi, if you're looking at a Navi in front of you, it should say Migdol. The way it's written in Tehillim, in chapter Yudchas, there it says Magdil Yeshua Smalko. So before even explaining the difference between me, between Magdil and Migdol, Tehillim is Magdil, in the Navi it's Migdol. I said before, the Navi is a higher level than Tehillim. 
In other words, the level of divine of, of nevuah was greater in Navi than in Tehillim. So on Shabbos we say it the greater way. On Shabbos we say it the way it's written in the Navi. Versus in Tehillim we say uh, during the weekday we say the way it's written in Tehillim. Shabbos, of course, is a day of accelerated kedusha, a higher level of kedusha. So on Shabbos we say the, the way the Shira is written here in the Navi. What's the difference? What's the difference between Magdil and Migdal? So Magdil, Yeshua's Malko, means that Hashem makes greater the salvations of the king. Magdil, Hashem makes greater, Yeshua's the salvation, Malko, the king. who does kindness to the anointed one. David to David, Lazaro to his descendants, Adol forever. So Magdil means Hashem makes him greater, will make him greater. Migdal is a tower. Migdal Yeshua's Malko, Hashem is a tower of deliverance. So Magdil is like a bracha, Hashem should make him greater. Migdal is that he is the tower of deliverance, that's a much higher level. Not that he will make him greater, but that Hashem is this tower, this great exalted tower of deliverance for David HaMelech. So again, in the Navi, it's Migdal, the tower of deliverance. In Tehillim, it's Magdil, that he will make him greater step to step. This plays itself out in the benching of Shabbos and weekdays, as we said, on the weekdays, which is the lesser level, we say Magdil, Hashem makes it bigger, and on Shabbos, Migdal is a tower of deliverance for David, and David's descendants forever. Um, very quickly, let's just look at one more Pasuk, we have time for one more Pasuk of this Shira. Um, Which pasuk? Rabbi Silverberg, is it the same sukkim in a tehillim also? Like if you say pasuk something, I have a tehillim here. I, I, you know what? I don't, I don't have a tehillim in front of me, but it's basically the same, I believe. I believe it's basically the same. Also, Rabbi Silverberg. Yes. Um, besides David, who composed tehillim, who else composed? Is it Shlomo no, no. Before David, people before David. There's a, oh. the, the Bnei Korach I mentioned many times in tehillim. Asaf. Um, some uh, according to according to some it's Adam. It's a whole uh, you know it's a whole discussion for self Tehillim and the, the build of Tehillim. But David, David is for sure the primary. It's called the Sefer of David, but it is a composition of something that's put together by various Sadiqma until that point. Um, let's very quickly just look at one more pasuk in the Shira over here, and that's pasuk Chavtes. David says, "Kiata neiri Hashem, you Hashem are my candle." The Hashem and Hashem Yagia Choshki will brighten the darkness, will brighten my darkness. So he talks about Hashem being a candle. He talks about Hashem brightening the darkness, which would seem to be sort of like just a, you know, prose, a way of saying something nicely, my candle brightening the darkness. Obviously, if it's a candle, it brightens the darkness. But I just wanted to mention that in Hasidus, there's a lot of discussion on this Pasuk, and it says it's really talking about two levels in light. And one is light that dispels darkness and one is the light that turns the darkness itself into light that transforms darkness to light and that's a higher form a higher level of light you know we're coming from the Yom Tov Hanukkah, so there's a lot of talk in Yom Tov Hanukkah that the, the candles in the Beis HaMikdash were inside the Beis HaMikdash but the candles of Hanukkah are meant for outside we put it in the doorway we put it in the windows we bring it out to the street because the candles of Hanukkah which are connected to the candles of Mashiach this has the ability not only to dispel light but to transform that that which used to be darkness should be turned into light. And that's what David Melech is alluding to, according to Hasidus and this Pasuk over here, Pasuk Haftes, that Hashem is a candle bringing illumination, but Vihashem, which is even a higher level of a revelation of Hashem, has the ability to transform. That even those things that seem dark initially, but ultimately through the light of Hashem and the light of Torah, 
those things are not only be able to uh, be dispelled, but transformed, that darkness turns to light as well. And that's what, again, according to Hasidus, is the deeper illusion of that Pasuk in this Shira. So again, we're not, um, we're not going to go through the Shira Pasuk by Pasuk, but that is the very beautiful Perik of Beis. Let me finish with the fact that this, we actually read this Perik in a Haftorah. In which Haftorah do we read this during the year? The Haftorah of... The Haftorah of Shvi Yishal Pesach. The Haftorah of when... Um, um, which is uh, when, when the Yidin said the Shira in, in, uh, when they crossed over the Amsuf. So the Kriya Satara we read the Shira. And the Haftorah we read the Shira of David. Interestingly, um, in Parshas Bishalach and Shabbos Shira, we read for the Haftorah the Shira of Devorah. So it's all, all, the, all the different Shiras of the Torah. The great songs, the song of Dvera, the song of Klal Yisrael, and this song, the song of David HaMelech, David Melech Yisrael, and this we retack on Shvi Yishal Pesach as well, a song of Shira to Hashem, and Hashem should give us the, the ability and the, uh, not just the ability, but should make it, that we should always want to sing Shira to Hashem for all the Chasadim, that we should see Chasadim bloom, reveal Chasadim by everyone individually and by all of us collectively, and Amir Hashem, the big Shira, the tenth Shira of the coming of Mashiach, it should be Amir Hashem Bekar of Mamish. Amen. Can I just ask a quick question? Amen. Yes, of course. So after the uh, Givonim, uh, uh, after they killed the sons of Yisrael, 